have your Bible with you, please turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. We'll be picking it up this morning in verse 14. So we're almost at the end here. By the time we finish, it'll be about a year exactly that we spent in Romans. In our Wednesday night Bible study this past week, we were looking at Psalm 100. And in that psalm, all the peoples of the earth. This is in the Hebrew, the Hebrew Psalms. This is kind of like what would have been a worship book for them. And all the peoples of the earth in Psalm 100 are commanded to make a joyful noise to the Lord alongside the nation of Israel. Now that would have been a bit jarring, to say the least, to the Israelite reader, because not only were the Gentiles outside the covenant community of God, but the Jews were also warned over and over again about mingling with them, lest they become tempted by their idolatry and swayed to worship their false gods. And yet, God prophesied, and that wasn't the first time in the Psalms, but God had prophesied throughout that psalmist that the day will come when Jews and Gentiles come together for the same reason, under the same banner, to make a joyful noise to the Lord because He is good So, not just because He's God, right? Any Jewish person would have said, the Gentiles better worship God because He's the only true God. Yes, that. But because He loves them. Because they too, in Psalm 100, we find, are the people of His pasture. That's God's design achieved in Christ. Jews and Gentiles will come together to make a joyful noise to the Lord, not just because He is God, but because He is good and His steadfast love and faithfulness endure forever. Those are things that along with the Jews, Gentiles would also come to know about God. And this is the heart of God for the whole world. And it always has been. And always has been His goal. In fact, when history is over and the church gathers around the throne to worship the Lamb who saved them, Revelation makes it clear that this multicultural bride for His Son was the goal of creation, the reason for which He made all things, to give His Son a wife, redeemed from every nation and people on the earth. In the last section of Romans 15 this morning, Paul returns to the issue he introduced in chapter 1 of his own service as an apostle of Jesus Christ and the relationship of him in that office and his work to the Christians in Rome specifically. Only now... Rather than introducing himself to them, he addresses these things about himself from the perspective of what he's written in this great letter. Paul has his own priestly service of worship to God in the daily vocation of his life, which is what he's called the Roman Christians to since chapter 12. Not only are the Roman Christians called to worship in everyday life, in their relationships, with one another, but in their relationship specifically to the Apostle Paul in his work, in his capacity as an Apostle to the Gentiles, to all nations. That relationship is another opportunity they're being given to do the Lord's will, to discern the Lord's will that is pleasing to Him, to show how their lives have been affected by being raised with Christ in their justification and to present their bodies as living sacrifices as their appropriate worship to God. And here we understand 
that this opportunity to be involved in the work for the nations is always tied to the fact that God has a heart. God's heart is for the nations. We are for the nations because God is for the nations. For all peoples to know of the gospel. That God has sent His Son to live for us, die for us, rise for us, forgiving our sins, making us righteous by grace through faith alone. This isn't like Paul sometimes closes letters with a kind of, here's what I'm up to, here's where I'm going. This isn't written like that. This is part of the body of the letter. He isn't closing yet. Focusing the power of the gospel on the current and urgent matter of his partnership with this church in Rome. We find here that Paul wants to bring a collection to the church in Jerusalem to help the saints there. And he wants the believers in Rome to be able to have a part in helping with that as a welcoming gesture to the church in Jerusalem of their unity with them all the way in Rome. A church made up of predominantly Gentile Christians. One of the reasons Paul wrote this letter to the Romans and the truth it teaches about the power of God and the gospel of Jesus that Paul preaches and to show how Gentiles are not an afterthought and certainly not as premillennial dispensationalism so horribly teaches that the church of Jesus Christ is a mere parenthesis in God's plan for national Israel. But, he's disproven all that. We shouldn't believe that. It's unbiblical. That the church of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles, are fully included in the one people of God according to the Old Testament Scriptures as the plan all along that Christ has now accomplished was because, why did He tell them all that? Why has He written this to them? Because He wanted their support financial support in sending the gospel out even further to more of the nation. Theology was required for them to do that. You see, Paul gives them a reason to support him, and it's based on his calling under the gospel. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Paul wants the gospel as he preaches it, the biblical gospel Christ gave to him, to have its way in his own life of worship as a living sacrifice as an apostle to the Gentiles, and of the Roman Christians welcoming one another and ready to receive and support his mission. And if writing this letter can help accomplish that, then how much better if it can accomplish all that before his trip to Jerusalem with the collection? What if he could get to Jerusalem and say, listen, there are Christians in Rome that are going to help support you by way of an offering. All for the sake of the gospel. Paul wants the church everywhere it presently was to be one for the sake of the gospel because it had to get beyond where it presently was. And it always will until Christ returns. The dragnet has been thrown across the world that Christ may gather more and more to His side in salvation. The gospel-empowered fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ is a means by which God intends to reach all nations with the gospel that welcomes sinners. That is why our theology has to be biblical, and that is why our fellowship has to be real for the nations, for the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what You revealed to us about Your plan for creation. By revealing these things to us, You affirm for us yet again that we are Your own beloved children. You tell us what you're doing. 
and why you're doing it. You invite us to be a part of it, to be caught up in it, to give our lives to it as new creation. So God, help us understand your word today. Help me preach it clearly and correctly. God, help me be merciful to me, a sinner, as I attempt to impart divine truth to all that are here in this room. So God, please help everyone listen also. By the power of your Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do with my words. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Beginning in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So, the Christians in Rome have all they need in the Gospel Paul preaches, and by which he instructs them to do what God is calling them to do as new creation, as worshipers in everyday life. Verse 15, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the Gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul has written this great foundational letter about the Gospel of Jesus Christ to these Christians in Rome foundationally because he is a priest who is called to proclaim God's grace and impart God's grace to the Gentiles. That is what he's been called to do. That is his spiritual act of worship. He's asking them in light of that, in light of his role as an offering to help the Christians in Jerusalem to be based on the gospel of grace then. Not to be based on compulsion. You're supposed to do this. You have to do this. And here's how much you have to give. He doesn't want it to be given for that reason. Compulsion to do something doesn't move anyone in the way that Paul says we need to be moved in order to be giving for all the right reasons. Compulsion makes hypocrites out of givers. Compulsion makes people give because they're supposed to and they've done their duty. And so if somebody can check a box, they don't have to worry about all the spiritual stuff that's much harder to quantify about living a life of faith. Like being loving and kind and compassionate and patient and not a gossip and not divisive and not sowing discord. Right? If, if you just... If you're supposed to give this, and so you better give that, and now you check a box. Well, then, I've done my duty, God. You can't require anything else of me. Paul doesn't want them to give an offering for that reason. That's not gospel giving anyway. That's not new covenant giving anyway, according to Paul in Second Corinthians, let alone in his theme here. Right? Think about it. If you receive help from somebody, why did you help me? Uh, because I had to. Oh. Thanks. Right. Nobody wants to hear that. I gave my percentage to you. My duty is fulfilled. Right. That's why that's one of the many reasons we run from free grace. Because we know grace means we're owned entirely. So we want to have some skin in the game, right? Because then we can withhold a little bit from God. Because like, no, I'm doing a little bit of the work. If you're doing all the work, then you can ask whatever you want of me. Right? You could... Like you did with Abraham, you could, you called Abraham to lay his son on the altar. I don't want it to be a relationship like that, where you just do all the work. I want to have some skin in there so you can't require whatever you want of me. No, Paul wants this offering to help the Christians in Jerusalem to be given for a different reason, a gospel reason, a grace reason. Paul wants them giving because they're learning in their hearts from what they're being taught that God has made us all one in Christ. And so, what is mine is also yours. 
for the sake of His name. Therefore, I will give. They're living sacrifices now. There's no tribal claims. There's no racial pride that should be dividing them. Just faith working through love. Verse 17, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. He, he knows that He believes that that's what the proclamation of the Gospel will accomplish. They will give this offering and they'll give it for the right reason. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now, he's referring to the obedience of faith in Christ for the sake of His name that He introduced in chapter 1, verse 5. Right? He's, he's an apostle to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of Christ by word and deed in verse 18. In verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. That's the work of Christ in him. That's what God has accomplished through him. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, which is a, was a province of the Roman Empire, the Balkan region in recent history, I suppose, I have fulfilled the ministry of the Gospel of Christ by proclaiming it, as he's just said, in all the power and by all the means of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. And thus, because Jesus Christ is at work through Paul to accomplish God's will in bringing salvation to all the nations, since that's where His sheep are, because of that, because God is working through me to do this, to accomplish His plan, I make it my ambition to preach the Gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Beloved, this is an amazing sentence. An amazing sentence. The Apostle Paul was a gospel pioneer. It was wonderful to him that the gospel had reached Rome. But it had reached Rome. It was there ahead of Paul. And the burden of Paul's heart as an apostle was to get out of places where the gospel already was for the sake of places where it still wasn't. To this day, that's what missionaries really are. They're the pioneers of the church. We know the gospel is here. We have it. But God also wants to save the people there. And so I'm going to make it my ambition to go there with the gospel. Any one of you are free to do that whenever you want. Paul doesn't want to build his ministry on the foundation others have already laid. He wasn't moving to Rome to settle down. That's what he's telling them. Look, I, I, I want to get to you. I wanted to get to you for a very long time. But I'm not sticking around. Okay, beloved, that's what he's saying to them. Right? It wasn't his, 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 That wasn't Paul's heart. It wasn't his calling or his burden. Now, that is the heart of many Christians, and there's nothing wrong with it. I just want to stay right here. That's fine. Paul was a pioneer. Staying in one place for the long haul was not his burden. And for Paul, the global West was calling. Right? Europe was calling Paul. And building on someone else's foundation in ministry isn't fun. It stinks, actually. Foundations set the structure for the house that will be built, and apparently those cannot be changed. Those blueprints are set. Trust me. So, rather than bang his head against the wall for years and years in the same places to gain an inch of ground, Paul longs to get to new peoples with the gospel. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel 
not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written. Now, here, here's why this is so amazing of a sentence. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who never heard will understand. Why is this such a big deal, Tony? So he's quoting the Old Testament. Paul had a Damascus Road experience where the Lord Jesus Christ Himself personally spoke to Paul, audibly spoke to Paul, and would soon commission him to be the leading pioneering missionary to the Gentiles. Paul was taken into the wilderness and taught personally the Scriptures by Christ, which parenthetically is why you have to have Paul interpret the Old Testament for you or you won't interpret it rightly. Okay? Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Paul had a Damascus Road experience, spoken to directly by Christ, audibly by Christ, and he uses Isaiah 52.15 from the Old Testament to justify his calling. That blows me away. Why wouldn't you just say, Jesus literally told me this, that this is what I was going to do and to be. Right? He literally took me apart. Right? They, they, I think they made an oof when they brought in Matthias. Right? Stay here and wait until you're clothed with power from on high. And what did the disciples say? We probably need to have a meeting. And we probably need to pick somebody. We can't just sit here and do nothing. So, uh, who's been with us? Uh, let's roll some dice. Matthias. And we never hear about him again. This was the man they should have waited for. Right? Paul could have said, no, Jesus spoke to me. And he just does what you and I can do. He quotes the Old Testament to justify his calling. He quotes one of the prophets. Paul will not deviate from trying to teach them that what he is doing in proclaiming the gospel that welcomes in Gentiles as full members of the one people of God that this is the true Israel of whom all will be saved is the planned fulfillment of God's design from eternity on through the prophets up to now. He could have said, Jesus told me, but he said, remember, this you should have already known this and believed this, that this was the plan. That's why I'm going, because of what Isaiah said. So Jesus was just affirming Isaiah to Paul. This shocked and offended Jewish Christians in Rome. That's why he's labored so much. And in Jerusalem and in Judea, as he'll actually say later, what he teaches specifically. And it offended Jewish Christians because, like so many American Christians today, who define themselves nationally, hopes for national earthly dominance are lived out vicariously through this blind support for the national state of Israel. They thought they were it. Just like we do today. We're it. And those Gentiles, that, that look, they can be a part of this. They can, like, they can be a part, okay? We won't be that mean to them anymore. But they can't be a full part. Maybe they can just be a spiritual part, right? That, that's, that's how we kind of get around that. It's a spiritual thing. What else is there from God? They're not a real deal, actual, physical, legitimate part of the people of God. Not technically. That's replacement theology, Paul. 
I mean, God can save a few lucky Gentiles if He wants to, but they aren't partakers of the promises with us. That's absurd. Despite what you teach in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, that teaches precisely the opposite of what I just said. No, that's precisely what Christ has done. That's always been God's will for the world. Paul justifies the pioneering missionary work with the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when he could have just said, I literally had a meeting with Jesus. Paul teaches from Isaiah, from Isaiah, that God's heart has always been to bring in the Gentiles and make them not an attachment, not a, like, like, a, like a prosthetic onto the people of God, but a bona fide part of His people under the name Israel. That's what Romans 9-11 through is doing and is so important in Scripture 4. That's the power of the Gospel. Look at how massive it is that God is accomplishing His will for all nations now. Paul is moved by this. It's, it's, it's driving his whole life. In verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Why? Well, because God wants it to get to all nations and you have it. Paul had been wanting to get to Rome so badly for so long, but God had other work for him to do. Others to whom he must go and proclaim the gospel. Rome had already been reached. It didn't need Paul like Spain did. But now in verse 23, since I no longer have any room for work in these reasons, because other Christians have already built the foundations there, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So I'm not just coming through to get money. I need money and I'm coming through to get money. But I also want to meet you and be with you and get to know you. Right? Rather than just saying, look, I want you to dump a few dimes into my ambition for the nations. I want you to know me and get to know my face and know who you're praying for and know my name and know what I'm trying to do. It's a beautiful relationship between a missionary, a pioneering missionary and ascending church, right? He wants Rome to be a part of that like the other churches are all around this region or many of them. Enough work had been done by other gospel ministers that Paul was now free to finally visit Rome. Right, so, so, in other words, God has moved so that Paul can get where he wants to go, which is Spain. Which means he can pass through Rome. And he's wanted to get there for a while anyway. And proclaim the gospel, as he said in chapter 1. What I've been preaching to everybody else, I want you guys to hear it too. And impart some spiritual gifts to them, as he says, and their mutual upbuilding together. But Paul isn't stopping in Rome. He's on his way to Spain and the doors are open. So he's already headed in that direction. Might as well do what I kind of wanted to do and visit those in Rome anyway. He wants to meet them and enjoy their company. He isn't trying to build a legacy there for his own name. Right? That's not the ambition of a Christian. Right? He's not staying. He's just passing through because Rome has the gospel and Spain needs the gospel. There's no biblical or even historical evidence, by the way, that Paul ever actually made it to Spain. Tragically. Paul would eventually get his head cut off, literally, because of his ambition to preach the gospel everywhere. But the gospel eventually got to Spain. The church is in Spain today. There are adherents to the gospel there too, which is how it got to us. It passed through Western Europe, came across the ocean, 
the Atlantic. It passed through eastern, the eastern borders of Asia, across the Pacific, and made it here. The mission can't be stopped. Why? Because Jesus Christ loves the nations of the world too much for none of them to get to hear it. When the Old Testament prophets talk about bringing the sheep of God back because they've been scattered abroad throughout the nations, Romans 9-11 through helps us understand he's speaking of the gospel, bringing in his Gentile children also. But Paul is consumed with, he's characterized by the work of the gospel of Christ. Paul is a living sacrifice. Verse 25, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. You hear the ought there. You hear the obligation. So Paul wants to secure a gift from the Roman Christians for the needy saints in Jerusalem. He wants to know that that once he passes through, gives the offering in Jerusalem, goes on to Rome, they're going to give also. He can send that back to Jerusalem also. He wants that to go alongside the gifts he's already collected for the saints in Jerusalem from the regions of Macedonia and Achaia. After all, he says the Gentiles, had, the Romans had heard the Gospel because faithful Jews had taken it to them from Israel. So now let the Gentiles be a part of sending material help from Rome to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are poor in return. As saints, we are characterized by obligations. But not to God, per se. Although, of course, we're obligated to God. But this is relational, these obligations. In chapter 1, we're obligated to the lost of every nation because we've been saved by a gift and not by works and so it wouldn't be right for us to keep it from anyone else like they don't deserve to have it when we got it for free and not because we deserve to have it. Now in chapter 15, we've come full circle. We find that as Christians, we're also obligated to one another in the body of Christ since all we are and have belongs to the Lord. We're living sacrifices. Now we see why it was so important to argue from the Scriptures as Paul had that Jewish and Gentile believers and believers that have differences that keep them apart need to welcome one another in the Lord. We don't have time to be divided. We have too much need to be divided. And that included helping each other financially. Here's why. You're one in Christ, he says. Verse 28, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected... I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That's what prayer is really for. Right? It's a, it's, it's a walkie-talkie with home base because we're at war. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Those bitter, jealous Jewish opponents of Paul because of the Gospel that were waiting to kill him and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints 
pray for that. They might not want your dirty Gentile money. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. Paul doesn't know for sure if the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem will even want a love offering from all these Gentile churches. But Paul has went around on their behalf because they're his kinsmen according to the flesh. The saints in Jerusalem, they need you. There are many poor there. They need your help. Will you help them because of what Christ has done for you? His opponents there in Judea, the difficulty Paul faces at home because of the gospel are immense. But he prays that as he continues to proclaim the scriptures, it will soften hearts all over that region, including Judea, among his own kinsmen according to the flesh. He, he wants to bring joyful and encouraging words to the Christians in Rome that the saints in Jerusalem have accepted their offering, are pleased and excited and thankful to count these Gentile believers in the home of the empire as their brothers and sisters in Christ. 33. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul has called our Lord the God of endurance and encouragement in 15.5, the God of hope in 15.13, and now the God of peace in 15.33. By the will and the power of God our Father in the Gospel, we are encouraged by His grace and therefore we endure. We have hope from the Holy Spirit Himself dwelling within us. And we have peace with God and with one another. Real peace. Spiritual peace and physical peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as one body, what He's reminding them of, you have peace with God. As one body, as one people, for the sake of the nations, so that all may hear of the love of Christ for sinners like we have. It is God who will bring peace on earth once and for all. It is God who will make us one under His name and for His sake from every nation. And today, this day, this morning, in this place, His arms are open wide to welcome all who will receive His free gift. He was also after Mount Zillian and Glendalians and Cameronites, however cool way you want to say it, right? All of them. All of them. Therefore, our arms must be open also. The gospel-empowered fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ is a means by which God intends to reach all nations with the gospel that welcomes sinners. That's why we designate a part of our annual budget to missionaries. Not just to fund people's dreams right, and ambitions and callings, but because we want to honor the heart and the will of God for all nations. Not all of us are going to go literally go to the nations. Most of us won't. And, and that's, that's not a, a critique of any kind. It's just that's not the way it works. There, there aren't usually churches where 90% of them go and 10% of them stay. It's normally something like the opposite. And that's alright. The, the Word of God is not chained. The Gospel is not bound. 
God will mobilize His people everywhere He wants them to be. It will get there through the means of the church. That's His design. But a missiologist named Ralph Winter once said, and I do think he's right, when it comes to mission, or what we sometimes call missions, we can go, we can give, or we can disobey. There is no neutrality when it comes to the mission. None. We can be a goer, we can be a sender, or we can be disobedient. Those are our options. Because of God's heart for the nation. And so it's here with that weighty word that the gospel comes flying in once again. Paul could have said, he could have written a one-page letter. It's me, that Paul, I want to go to Spain, you need to help me. And instead, for 16 chapters, he says, look at this gospel. Look at God's eternal plan for the world. You are literally bona fide members of this design. Will you be pleased to help me? Because of the gospel. Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. When you hear the weight of what you're called to do and you think, oh, well, great. I have my own home to take care of, my own job, my own responsibilities at church, and at all these things, and now it looks like I'm also on the hook for all the nations. This is why the Bible and God don't try to pull this out of you by compulsion. Because we could do that. God could do that. Just give your money because I said so. Just do what I said. No. I've forgiven your sins. I've raised you from the dead in baptism. I've brought you to life. You are my own beloved child. You are a part of my plan. You're in my family. And here's what my family does. This is who you are now. Because you're mine. I don't just own you. I love you. If we aren't consumed by the mercy, there's 15 chapters of God's mercy and half a chapter about what I would like you to do because of it. That's instructive. If we aren't consumed by the mercy of God for us all in Christ that we don't deserve, never lose sight of that. Because of the mission, not just because of our theology, because of the mission, because of the people that need it so badly. Don't prevent yourself from being consumed by the mercy of God for you that you don't deserve. There are people that don't have it right now that have never even heard of it. And they are what you were before I brought the gospel for free to you. If we aren't consumed by the mercy of God for us in Christ that we don't deserve. Paul is saying, look, you won't only refuse to be welcoming to one another. 
you'll forget the nations exist. Right? If, if, if you're trying to preserve any more kingdoms than the kingdom of God, you're going to forget that the nations exist. They're going to be enemies and impediments to the nation you love. And I need you to see them like a missionary sees them. Not like a citizen of earth sees them. Look what I've done for you. You are free. Your sins are forgiven. You're justified. You're raised from the dead. You have life. You belong to me. I've reconciled us. Go. Or send. Or disobey. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Yeah. We're only here for a little while. We've heard that all our lives, haven't we? We're only here for a little while. Keith Green used to say, singer-songwriter, one of the best ever, man. One of the best ever. This generation of soul of, of this generation of the church is responsible for this generation of souls on the earth. I, I don't again a dogmatic platitude that's not a verse. You kind of have to be a little, but I do like the essence of it. I mean, we are witnesses, and they are here, and we're going to die, and they're going to die, and we're going to move on, and they're going to move on. We aren't called by God to preserve our nation, but to give all for the sake of all nations. That's a hard sell in America in particular. Now I know that makes everybody mad, but that's the truth. And so you're just going to have to deal with it. Let us fix all our hope on the gospel. Our eyes only on Christ. Anything else is divided allegiance. We pledge allegiance to no one but Christ. Right? Or not? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christ Jesus came into the world to welcome you into His family. Receive His grace for you in His death and resurrection for you. He will make you new. He will give you what He has, which includes a heart for the whole world. The best way to be earthly good is to be extremely heavenly minded. Amen. Would you stand?